0: My goodness, good morning, good afternoon, whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Shomler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 297. I hope you're having a fantastic day. Uh, last night, I watched Wisconsin play. I don't need to say a lot about it, but basically, in case you missed it, Wisconsin has this red shirt freshman quarterback, Graham Mertz, who is, it's a breath of fresh air because for so long, I have been infuriated watching Wisconsin football because they're this great program that runs the ball so well. They play solid defense. They basically forever have had everything except for a quarterback. Since the Russell Wilson era, and that one year with Russell Wilson, Wisconsin has not had a quarterback. Finally, it appears like Wisconsin has an efficient quarterback who can make the right reads, send the ball in the right direction, make big plays when he needs to. He had that big touchdown before halftime. I'm just like. So LSU and Wisconsin have been two football teams that you know in college football that have driven me nuts for a long, long time. Where I've been sitting there going, "Can this you know can this program just get a quarterback?" We're only one game in. Wisconsin beat the crap out of the uh, the what is it? Illinois football team, forty five to seven. We'll see how he does against better competition. But I'm so happy. I think Wisconsin finally has a quarterback. He's a redshirt freshman, Graham Mertz. Learn that name. Uh, I am so happy to say that and to be able to just watching him play and do well. He was like, he had, he was think like 20 something for 20. He had one incompletion on the entire day, which is just unbelievable to me. Uh, Graham Mertz is a name you need to know. He emerged on Friday night as a really awesome looking quarterback. And then I know a lot of people don't care about F1. I do. There's this track we're going to see on Sunday morning in the Portuguese Grand Prix, which has a lot of verticality, a lot of elevation change. And I, for me, like F1, I watch the the race in Sochi, 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 whoever you say it, in Russia. And I just, watching a flat race is not very fun in F1, which is literally, it's just flat. There's no verticality. When you have a race where the guys are going up and down over crests and hills, and you're like there's a, a camera angle that's really low to the track, and you see a car go up and down and disappear under the, the edge of the track, you're like, oh, it just looks so cool for the aesthetic of F1, a vertical, a track with a lot of verticality, and a lot of Elevation change is like amazing, and I I think if you have never ever watched F one in your entire life, Sunday morning watch the Portuguese Grand Prix because it's going to be the coolest looking Grand Prix all year, and uh, it's just a really really cool track. I want to dive in. We're going to talk about the so today's episode. Fr- first of all, I got to say I, I'm excited for this weekend. Ohio State plays; that'd be really really fun. I can't wait to watch Justin Fields. Um, I'm I'm really my girlfriend's horribly sick. I'm on a lot of medication. I uh, My stomach is like a mess. I'm doing the best I can. Uh, but I really, I felt like I had to do this episode because I really want to share my predictions for NFL Week 7. It'll be really fun. We'll do that in a minute. Uh, I also want to talk about the Giants and Eagles game from Thursday night. Antonio Brown got signed. He's now in the NFL again. Oh, my gosh. We got to talk about that. We'll end the show with Ask Zach. It's going to be really, really fun. Let's jump in. We'll start here with Thursday night football. So, on Thursday Night Football, the Philadelphia Eagles beat the New York Giants 22-21. And I guess we'll start with the Eagles because they won. I guess they deserve it. Uh, you have to know the name Travis Folgum. He is a guy who was drafted in the sixth round of the NFL draft by the Detroit Lions in 2019. And going into this year in 2020, kind of a nobody, you know, not even on the same team he was drafted by. And Travis Folgum has really made a name for himself as a— I think probably the most exciting receiver for the Philadelphia Eagles. It's really, really cool. He had another five catches for 73 yards on Thursday. The dude fights hard for the ball. He can go up and catch jump balls. I love the way on like a hitch or a comeback, he comes back hard for the ball. He will beat defenders to the ball. And Carson Wentz really trusts this guy. And we'll talk about Carson in a minute. But Carson Wentz, I think, is partially struggling with he doesn't trust the people around him. To have a guy like Travis Fulgham, somebody that Carson Wentz, when he l- releases the ball, he knows, yeah, my guy Travis is going to come back hard for the ball. He's not going to let a defender body him up and box him out for the football. Uh, you got to know the name Travis Fulgham. He's this awesome new receiver for the Philadelphia Eagles. He's kind of this guy has come out of nowhere, and I I love him, man. It's so much fun to watch Travis Fulgham. I'm disappointed. I wish that – You know, the other top picks that the Eagles had drafted at receiver were the really exciting receivers in Philadelphia. It's not true. But Travis Fulgham, man, he looks awesome. Now, Carson Wentz deserves a lot of credit. I thought that at the end of this game, he was incredibly clutch. And I... First of all, Carson Wentz delivered when it mattered most. There was a moment at the end of this game, on the final drive, he was down. They needed a touchdown. Carson Wentz threw this beautiful throw where it's a perfect pass down the right sideline to Boston Scott, game-winning touchdown with seconds left on the clock. And for me, I mean, that's that's an elite throw. If you go watch the film or even watch the highlights, that throw by Carson Wentz to end the game, to beat the Giants is, that's, I would even call that elite level stuff. That's an incredibly perfect football throw. Football throw sounds really stupid when you say that out loud. Um, you can tell I'm spitballing here. Carson Wentz has been really, really infuriating to watch this year because the best of Carson Wentz is elite. He's really, really incredibly gifted. He can play at such a high level, and I would say he's one of the most talented quarterbacks in the entire NFL, just physically gifted. The problem is Carson Wentz has been having these great moments rather than prolonged periods of consistent elite play. It's a moment rather than a whole season or a whole couple of games. And honestly, at this point, my belief, people keep asking me, what's wrong with Carson Wentz? What's going on? Why does he appear to not be at the high level you thought he was? Because I I even came out, I, I almost am embarrassed to admit this. I said Carson Wentz was an elite quarterback. And the dude has not played that way this year so far. Now, he's had great moments, though, followed up by great moments of frustration and confusion if you're watching him. My belief is that Carson Wentz believes that he needs to be Superman. He needs to do everything himself. At least that's how he feels. And I, I honestly, it totally makes sense to me where his team is banged up. There's a bunch of injuries all around him. And I think the pressure of not just the Philadelphia market, but the pressure of trying to carry the team around him is causing him to make bad mistakes and force throws that are not there and play some kind of hero ball. And two examples of this are, there was a throw. uh, First of all, there's a play where he's rolling right on Thursday night. Rolling right is way along the right sideline. And inexplicably, he just launches the ball back to the left across the field. Thank goodness Travis Fulcombe was there to knock the ball down. But it's this dangerous, horrible, ridiculous throw. I've never seen anybody rolling right along the right sideline. Literally launch the ball all the way across the field. Across the entire football field to the other sideline. Not e- like only like seven yards downfield to Not even like a D. Uh, nothing. Not wide open. Risky. Stupid. I've ne- I just w- I watched that and went Carson, what are you doing? He got lucky. Uh, Troy Aikman even said it. If you're a young quarterback and you do that, you're getting benched. You're getting pulled. How about play number two? Third and three. Uh, the Giants had a safety walk down on, le- on the left side along the line of scrimmage, and the safety is standing way inside. And Carson changes the play to a quarterback draw and runs right up the middle. And on paper, that should not work. You go, Carson, I mean, I I, I don't know. what you, you have man coverage outside. A safety's walked down. You're running right at that safety. That should not work. That's a bad play on paper. But here, Carson played the role of Superman. And it worked, by the way. You know, Carson Wentz ran over a dude, fell forward for the first down, got the first down on third and three. And I went, okay, Like I I think that's a, a weird choice. But hey, Carson thinks he needs to be Superman. And when you look at his decision making, you see that repeatedly. There's another play on third and nine where Carson had time in the pocket. He had a little pressure on his right. What he should have done, slide in the pocket, step to the right, step forward. There's a great throwing lane over the middle of the field. Instead, he panics, reverse pivots, runs around, ends up throwing the ball the way. No one's open. He either threw the ball away or took a sack. I don't remember exactly. I just remember feeling like, man, Carson, you got to stay in the pocket there. Don't panic. Slide. Find your throwing lane. And what's the lesson here? So Carson thinks he needs to play hero ball. He needs to be Superman and put everything on his shoulders. And it also feels like Carson doesn't trust anybody around him. And he even seems to not trust the play calling sometimes. And I I get it. I I actually totally understand why Carson Wentz feels this way. I imagine there's a ton of pressure. He was a top pick in the NFL Draft. Uh, The entire team around him is injured. There's all this pressure from everybody around him. Not to mention, by the way, he's reading articles where his team, by the way, they did draft a quarterback in the second round of the NFL Draft. He's now reading articles that his team is probably going to try to replace him with Jalen Hurts. I can't imagine all the pressure going on around Carson Wentz, and even if the pressure's not getting to him, imagine the, the feeling of everyone around me is backups or depleted or injured. I have to carry and lift up everybody around me. I'm the guy. I need to be the man. I have to show that. So my theory is Carson Wentz feels tremendous pressure, plus he wants to win, and he has confidence. He believes in himself, and it's causing him to play hero ball and make dumb mistakes. That is my theory behind what we've seen so far from Carson Wentz. That, when you say it, okay, he doesn't trust the people around him. He needs to play hero ball. That explains everything he's done to this point. I also want to say that Doug Peterson goes for it on fourth down all the time. He's a head coach of the Eagles. And he goes for so many two-point conversions as well. And, I mean, he does that stuff about twice as much as I would. He literally... Does that about I mean there half the time when I watch Doug Peterson go for it on fourth down or go for a two-point conversion I go what do you why why the take the three points or take the easy extra point what are you doing and again I only agree about half the time when I watch Doug Peterson do almost anything on fourth down or on you know, a two-point conversion situation and the coach in Washington is called you know, Ron Rivera it's called Riverboat Ron and I almost want to call Doug Peterson like Vegas Doug or, you know, gamble the mortgage Doug. Cause it's like, there are so many moments where I go, Doug, what are you doing? Wha-? It's fourth down. You're down a touchdown or you're up by four. Go, go. You don't need to go for it on fourth and one. Kick the field goal. It's an easy field goal. What are you doing? And there are so many moments where Doug Peterson takes what I believe are unnecessary risks. And I, I just, his game management recently has been driving me nuts. And I just, I can I go like, what are you doing, Doug? I don't get it at all. Again, <laughs> gamble the mortgage, Doug. It sounds incredibly stupid, but it's like, Doug, what are you doing? Not to mention, the other thing that's driving me nuts about Doug Peterson, and I, I have great reverence for Doug Peterson. He won want a Super Bowl. He's clearly not an idiot. People like him. I'm not trying to trash on the guy. But I, I want to see more creative play calling when Jalen Hurts is in at quarterback. I've seen, I've watched a lot of Eagles football. I've watched all, but there's only, I can't remember what game it is. There was a game, gosh, I don't remember. I've seen all all but one game the Eagles played this year. And, you know, the weeks are blending together. I lose track. I apologize. But I've only seen uh, Jalen Hurts really complete one pass all year. There's On a two-point conversion, that's a little bit different. But, I mean, in a normal offensive set, not in a two-point conversion situation, I've only seen Jalen Hurts throw the football one time. And he keeps running the ball and a very obvious, clear, like, uh, what, what, predictable runs. You're like, Doug Peterson, why are you not mixing it up? Why are you not doing anything creative with your young rookie quarterback who's got this incredible physical st- skill set? I don't get it. I don't understand. And uh, I, I see a lot of stuff Doug Peterson is doing, and I go, I don't, it doesn't make any sense to me. Now, the New York Giants in this game on Thursday. I mean, the Giants should have won this game. Never forget, and I never is a bit dramatic, Um, but the New York Giants had an 11-point lead with six minutes left in this game, and they lost. You go, ha! I I remember watching, and and I knew that the Eagles were going to win, but I didn't know how they were going to win. I watched about an hour later, and I I remember feeling like, six minutes left, Giants are up 11 points. How does Philadelphia win this game? And... There was a a key costly play at the end of this game. I guess, really, there were two made by this player. But Evan Ingram, the worst play of the game was a third and seven. And Giants fans will know exactly what I'm talking about. Third and seven, right before the two-minute warning. You're winning 21-16. to Daniel Jones throws a beautiful ball down the sideline to Evan Ingram. And he drops it. Evan Ingram drops this perfect pass from Daniel Jones. And he catches that pass, the Giants either win the game outright or they give Philadelphia the ball with, like, 29 seconds left. I mean, they they really would have taken all of the wind out of the sails for the Philadelphia Eagles. But Evan Ingram drops this really key, crucial pass. And that gave Philadelphia the ball back with, you know, two minutes and two seconds left. So the two-minute warning plus two timeouts, Philadelphia drives down the field. They get the game-winning touchdown. And I guess my main point here is that you can crush Daniel Jones. A lot of people really, really are hard on the Giants quarterback, Daniel Jones. And I just want to point out that Daniel Jones did everything he needed to do to win this football game on Thursday. I'm not trying to be the biggest Daniel Jones defender in the world. I'm not going to die on this hill. I don't really know how things are going to work out for Daniel Jones. But I know that Giants fans are furious all the time. And I honestly think that New York is a little bit too hard on their second-year quarterback Daniel Jones. Remember, this is the same fan base, and I I love you, you Giants fans. You're a crazy bunch of people, and I love you. I've been in New York. I went to a game. I went to MetLife Stadium. I was at the X, What is that? The Wildcats. What is it? What's the name of that? The Guardian. I went to the Guardians game in the XFL, and I met a lot of you people. And oh my gosh! And you, <laughs> sounds stupid, but New York sports fans are this really cool group of people. They're passionate. They're angry. They're rowdy, and I I love having. Heated, sometimes angry debate with you guys. It's really fun. But I want people to realize if you're not a, a New York sports fan, the New York fan base is the same group of fans that, for many stretches of Eli Manning's career, hated him and wanted to get rid of him. People hated Eli Manning, and he's a borderline, maybe probably a Hall of Fame quarterback. So I don't, uh, Giants fans hate on Daniel Jones. I go, well, you hate on everybody. And remember, the one interception Daniel Jones threw in this game, again, that guy Evan Ingram, the guy you love, who dropped the crucial pass at the end of the game, that ball bounced right off Evan Ingram's hands, up in the air, grabbed by a defender. That's an interception. It was not Daniel Jones' fault. And so I have patience for Daniel Jones, and I, I really don't understand why you know Giants fans are calling for Daniel Jones' head. What it, what's the benefit of benching Daniel Jones? You can put Colt McCoy in. I don't see what let Daniel Jones let things play out. Let Daniel Jones play the rest of the year. And if you need a new quarterback in April, draft one. And if not, hey, if Daniel Jones pans out, great. But you gotta see what he's got. I don't I don't understand anybody who wants to bench Daniel Jones. It makes no sense. You can predict he's not gonna work out. You can predict he's gonna be terrible. Given the rest of the year, it'll be awful. But benching Daniel Jones does nothing to benefit the New York Giants, and I don't understand anybody making an argument to do that. The Giants have no other option then play Daniel Jones, figure out what they have, and if he's bad, you draft a new guy. If he's good, congratulations, you can use your high draft pick to get somebody else who can help Daniel Jones win more football games. It's a win-win. There's no benefit to benching Daniel Jones. All you can do is win by playing him. I also got to say, I love the third and goal play call. The the touchdown that gave the Giants a 21-16 lead. Uh, Sterling Shepard started outside... Because of the way the Eagles play defense, they switch. They kind of, you know, they pass off Sterling Shepard. And when they pass him off, oh, the guy's cutting inside. You got to. So I guess, how do I explain this properly? Basically, uh, Jason Garrett, the offensive coordinator of the Giants, figured out, hey, based on their system, if we run Sterling Shepard out, they're going to switch. Then when he cuts back inside, he's in no man's land. Nobody's guarding him. Wide open, easy touchdown, third and goal. Great play call by Jason Garrett. Uh, Daniel Jones had a bad fumble at the end of the game. I can't defend it. Uh, One of the – it seems like Daniel Jones has almost zero pocket presence. Uh, He just has, like, no awareness of bodies around him. I'm going to watch the fumble for Daniel Jones with, like, was it, 23 seconds left, something like that. And he just has no idea a defender's bearing down. I don't know how you have no peripheral vision. You're looking downfield. It's your front side. I don't know how you don't feel a defender there, but he just clearly did not see anybody or feel any pressure around him. That's very concerning. That's probably, as my voice cracks, uh, that's probably why Daniel Jones has so many fumbles is, I mean, it probably is probably the wrong, it is why Daniel Jones has so many fumbles is he has no spatial self-awareness of bodies around him. That's a big problem Daniel Jones has. Uh, That's a huge flaw I don't see a solution to that. That's just like, dude, you not have peripheral vision? What's going on there? Now, we have to talk about the moment where Daniel Jones tripped and fell over because he had this huge run. It went for eighty yards. It should have been a touchdown, and he just like got sniped. I mean, <laughs> there's no other way to put it. Like you know, the joke when a kid would fall over on, in the backyard or uh, at recess, you're like, oh, he got sniped. Daniel Jones got sniped. He's running, he's past everybody, there's nobody around him, and he just falls over. And I, it's hilarious, it's funny, there were so many memes. I actually, I started the game late, uh, my girlfriend, I'm sitting on the couch with my girlfriend, she goes, did you see this? And she shows me her phone, she's not a sports fan, she couldn't name anybody on the Giants. She goes, this guy Daniel Jones just falls over, and if my girlfriend's laughing about it, my, my girlfriend who knows literally nothing about sports, you know it's, it's a big deal. Um, and I, it's funny, man. It was so hilarious. The memes were great. Uh, it's probably one of the most Daniel Jones moments of all time where, of course, Daniel Jones breaks away for a touchdown and just falls over. But I also don't understand. The jokes are one thing. The genuine hate confuses me because the Giants did score a couple plays later. They got a touchdown on that same drive. So Daniel Jones, yeah, it's funny he fell over. It also did still set up a touchdown drive So I or touchdown. So I don't really understand why the animosity towards Daniel Jones makes no sense. Make fun of him. It's funny, but I don't see why you need to hate him for an 80-yard run that set up a touchdown. It just—it doesn't make any sense to me. I also wonder, am I the only person who, when when I watch Daniel Jones, his footwork, his mannerisms, the way he even throws the football, everything, it's kind of wild how much Daniel Jones looks exactly like Eli Manning. I mean, and not just the facial expressions or the, the, the fact that he's just some tall, you know, average looking dude. It's like literally the way he throws an out route. I go, I, that looks exactly like Eli Manning wearing number eight. I've never, i never, it's kind of weird to me. And I cannot be the only person who watches Daniel Jones and goes, I just see Eli. I see Eli with number eight on. It's kind of crazy. Now, it's also weird to me that the Giants kept running zone coverage over and over and over again. Giving up easy completion after easy completion to Carson Wentz and the Eagles. I kept waiting for them to make an adjustment, and they never did. And I, I just went, I, I, is it personnel? It must be personnel. They must not just—I I guess it, it is factual that the Giants don't have the personnel to run man coverage. But Carson was shredding their, their zone coverage, and the Giants were helpless and could do nothing about it. Uh, the Giants also really struggled with pass protection. It's not really coaching. I, I, I guess it's maybe coaching. I don't know what to do here. The offensive line needs help because there are so many moments where it's not just the fact that the Giants are giving up pressure to a four-man rush. A very simple four guys line up on the defensive line, and they're just beating the Giants in one-on-one matchups repeatedly. That's a huge problem. Daniel Jones was helpless multiple times on Thursday night. But also, and here's where coaching plays a part, is that the Giants' offensive line is awful at picking up a blitz. So if you... You, know, you have your defensive tackle or people around the line of scrimmage kind of walking around, and then two guys back off, two guys from the outside rushed on the outside, and we saw Daniel Jones take a sack that way. They have no idea how to communicate, yeah, we need to fan out. You take in, in and in, I'll go out and out. There's little moments like it doesn't make any sense if you probably know football language. But basically, a tackle will say, you know, in and in, you take the in guy, I'll take the out guy. And there's really poor communication on the offensive line, I'm trying to say, I guess. And if I was a coach playing against the Giants, I would blitz them into oblivion because they are so, so bad at communicating how to pick up pressure. And it's a huge problem the Giants are facing right now. And I guess, honestly, my final thought here is that I'm really curious whether or not Joe Judge is going to succeed as the head coach of the Giants. I don't know. I would give it a, I mean, right now it's like a 50-50 shot. It could go either way. I will say, and this really helps Joe Judge, Giants fans in New York really love the guy, and that's – I mean, they want him to succeed, and I, that's their coach. I get it. Uh, and despite being 1-6, I think that because of COVID, he actually gets a complete pass this year. Like, no matter what happens to the Giants, you can always say, well, it's a horrible time to be a first-year head coach, and it's you – know, let alone a first-time-ever head coach. I mean, Joe Judge had never done a job like that before. So I think Joe Judge gets a pass no matter what happens this year because of COVID – um, but I'm I'm really curious whether or not Joe Judge is going to succeed in New York. Giants fans love him. And I we'll see what happens. I think that the people I've talked to in New York are Giants players are more satisfied than the Cowboys players are under Mike McCarthy. That's very telling. Nobody hates him yet. Uh maybe they never will if they if they can turn things around and keep going in a good direction. So um yeah, keep your eye on Joe Judge. Will he succeed or not? I have no idea. It's kind of up in the air, and I'm curious if indeed he does. And I, I, I got to say, I'm pulling for Joe Judge. I don't see any reason to to hate Joe Judge. I think that um, they need better personnel. I think a lot of stuff like, for example, the defense, they, they can't run man coverage. And I, I know I criticize him. Like, why are you playing zone coverage? But I don't have another answer there. If I'm coaching the Giants, I go, we don't have the bodies to run with anybody. We can't play... Deshaun Jackson, to man in my coverage, we're going to get burned horribly. So what do you do? I don't know. Um, But I I think I'm really curious to see how Joe Judge does. If, in fact, he can get better players on this roster underneath him, how does he do? Um, And then how ingenious is he? Can he do a lot with little? I don't know. But how does Joe Judge do? Does he succeed? I have no idea. I'm excited to find out as time goes on. All right. Uh, Now the big news of the day, the one you guys are here for. Thing you probably want to know about. I, uh, it'll be fun to talk about this. Receiver. I gotta. Sorry. I, I gotta do this right. Receiver Antonio Brown signed a one-year deal with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, he's coming off of a suspension. It, it looks like he will be clear to play starting Week Nine. And there's a lot to say here. There's a lot to break down. I need to. I mean, there's so many things to run through. I guess number one, though I want to say that if you're incredibly talented in, in any field, you're more likely to get a second or a third or even a fourth chance. And two years ago, Antonio Brown was arguably, at the very minimum, was arguably the best receiver in the entire NFL. And so it really shouldn't be that surprising to anybody. It, it did surprise me that he came back to the NFL, if you told me in – In March, that Antonio Brown was going to be back in the NFL, I'd go, "Ah, I don't really buy that. And there's a reason for a long time I haven't covered Antonio Brown because a lot of stuff going on with him moved away from being a football story to just a weird social story. And I I was like, I'm going to stay away from all that. But it it, it shouldn't be a gigantic surprise that Antonio Brown is getting another opportunity in the NFL because, again, he's one of the best in his entire field and on the planet at what he does. And when you're that talented – you tend to get a second or a third or a fourth opportunity when other people that do what you do off the field would never get an opportunity like that because they're not talented like you are. Now, my initial thought when I saw that Antonio Brown was going to the Buccaneers, I thought, man, can Tom Brady recruit? He might be the best recruiter in the NFL. Like Patrick Mahomes recruits with his resume. He goes, I'm, I'm amazing. People want to be here. Le'Veon Bell signed with the Chiefs because he thought he had an opportunity to win a Super Bowl. Now, Tom Brady goes, hey, you want to win? We're doing everything we can. And it sounds like Antonio Brown was deciding between the Seattle Seahawks and the Buccaneers. And Seattle was pushing really, really hard to get Antonio Brown. Uh, Now, I'm sure it did not hurt that Antonio played with Tom Brady last year briefly in New England. And you got to remember, Bill Belichick cut Antonio Brown. Tom Brady was not the reason Antonio Brown got cut. Uh, Now, there is no guarantee that Antonio Brown is a huge success in Tampa Bay. There's no way of knowing that. Even if he plays great on the field, you never know. He's kind of a wild card still off the field. Uh, If someone said, hey, Zach, pick a side, right? Yes or no. Is Antonio Brown going to work in Tampa Bay? I would say he's probably going to be successful because Tom Brady seems like a perfect human being to manage Antonio Brown's ego and personality. Uh, You also got to give credit to Tampa Bay. I mean, the Buccaneers are doing everything they can to support Tom Brady. They're getting Tom as much help as they possibly can. I actually really, I like that. I enjoy that. And when you look at paper, like if, if it was Madden, for example, you go, you have Tom Brady throwing to Mike Evans, Rob Gronkowski, Chris Godwin, and now Antonio Brown. That's horrifying. Again, it sounds like a Madden team. And so I'm, I'm really fascinated to see how do things work out. I don't know. Um, they're, remember, there are still banged up. There's some injuries going on for the Buccaneers. But on paper, it, like in Madden, oh, my gosh, uh, the Buccaneers are horrifying. Now, Antonio Brown also appears to have made a statement here where, you know, first of all, Washington, where the Seattle Seahawks are located, and where I live, by the way, and Florida— there's no uh, state income tax. So it's there's not really an incentive. If you're Antonio Brown going, you're not going to say, I'll make so much more money going to Florida rather than Seattle because neither of them have state income tax. And it seems like Antonio Brown really simply made his decision because he felt like the Buccaneers had a better opportunity to win a Super Bowl than the Seattle Seahawks. And that's an interesting statement to say, wow, okay. Antonio Brown looks at the Buccaneers and says – you know, it says they're more likely to win a Super Bowl than Seattle. I, it's interesting. I just okay. Wow, that's how he looks at things. Um, it also seems like, you know, Tom Brady really enjoyed working with Antonio Brown of the Buccaneers. That or, or excuse me, on the page words last year with New England. Um, and I'm curious because, yes, Antonio Brown's antics off the field still make him a wild card. You got to remember that. But ultimately, you got to give a lot of credit to the Buccaneers here because. They are all in on supporting Tom Brady and trying to make a push at the Super Bowl. I really admire uh, some of the – the Buccaneers said, look, we got a good team. We need to get the quarterback right. And if we're going to bring in Tom Brady, we're going to do every single thing we can to support him. And uh, I just look at this move and say Tom did the right thing by leaving the Patriots. Tom Brady is getting help from the Buccaneers that the Patriots were simply unwilling to do. Uh, The Buccaneers are spending more money than the Patriots would have to help Tom Brady. The Patriots uh, really didn't want to commit to Tom Brady. The Buccaneers have. And so I think that the breakup between Tom Brady and the Patriots, it really worked out for both the Patriots and for Tom Brady. Uh, But Tom Brady absolutely did the right thing. In case anybody missed it or was not clear on that, Tom Brady absolutely did the right thing by leaving the New England Patriots. All right, guys. Uh, Wow, it's already been my counter says I'm not going to tell you because I'm probably going to cut the beginning I have no idea um, it, 31 minutes so that means probably 25 <laughs> on the podcast because uh, I, again I hit record and then I mess around and turn on the little lights and everything um, but I, it's been a long time I'm going to take a short break when I return we will do NFL predictions for week 7 and then we will end this show with Ask Zach my name is Zach Schomler. hope you're having a great day and I will be right back all right, we are back. I hope you're doing well. I want to dive in and do predictions now for week seven of the NFL season. So in case you don't know, NFL week seven is here. Uh, and I think people are starting to finally catch on to the way I do my predictions, which is that I do not predict scores. I don't know how you would know, like, oh, the Patriots are going to win. They're going to lose 18 to 12. The Broncos are going to have six field goals. So there's no way to predict that kind of stuff. Uh, oftentimes, I guess not often, but Sometimes I don't even predict a winner of a game. Because sometimes you don't know. I I like to predict the theme of a game. What's the overall tone of a game? How's it going to go? Who's going to dominate? What are the interesting matchups? What's this? What's that? Um, And so right off the bat, let's start with an easy one. You have the Buffalo Bills at the New York Jets on Sunday. The Bills are coming off of two losses in a row. uh, And this game is an opportunity for Buffalo to clean up some of their mistakes. In two weeks, they play New England. They got to get things right before they play a Bill Belichick team, tune up a little bit. And the Jets are so bad that, I've mean, I, like i I've never ever said this about an NFL game before, but I really genuinely feel this way almost every time a team plays a Jets at this point. This game feels like a scrimmage almost for Buffalo where they're working on stuff, they're going to tune things up. If they make a couple mistakes, they're okay. They're not going to be in a close, interesting battle. Um, I, I don't see a way in and really in the world, that Buffalo could lose this game. Uh, I'm that low on the New York Jets. They might be the worst team in football. Not to mention Sam Darnold, the Jets quarterback, uh, is still questionable with a shoulder injury. Buffalo should dominate the Jets on Sunday. I say that every week about the Jets, no matter who they're playing, it seems like, and uh, I I just, the Jets are terrible. Now, in my opinion, the game of the week uh, this weekend is the Pittsburgh Steelers, and the Tennessee Titans. I love the Titans quarterback, Ryan Tannehill. I think he's he's kind of shockingly clutch in big moments, like third downs or fourth down or at the end of a game. Ryan Tannehill seems to often deliver uh, and deliver big. He's great on third down, like really, really good at making great decisions when it matters most. Uh, the Titans running back, Derrick Henry, is amazing. Some people even say he should be MVP. He's just like a, a guy that nobody in the world wants to tackle. And despite what I just said, I've I've been saying those things for a long, long time about Ryan Tannehill and Derrick Henry. And I really like the way that the Tennessee Titans have overcome a lot of like really hard logistical stuff this year. In spite of that, Titans fans still feel like I haven't given their team enough respect. And so what I'm going to say here is this is a great opportunity on Sunday. This is a great opportunity for the Titans to prove whether they're a juggernaut. Like the really like they are one of the best teams of the best in the NFL, or is Tennessee just a really good playoff team? They're playing the Steelers, and I have no idea who's going to win this game. I don't know. It's a it feels like to me a great matchup. You have and I think the matchup to watch these teams are very similar. Uh, the Steelers are better defensively, in my opinion, but the matchup to watch in this game is the Titans' running game. Derrick Henry, they use play action very heavily. The Titans' offense, but in particular their running game, against the Steelers' defensive line and their front seven uh, and the way they play linebackers and all that stuff, um, the Titans run the ball all over bad teams. If you're a bad defense, the Titans will obliterate you. We saw them run for over 200 yards with Derrick Henry against the Texans last week. When I watch football, I I think the Steelers might be the best run defense in the entire NFL. They are so Sound The way they play gaps, they have TJ Watt. They don't really have a weakness up front. And so I can't wait to watch. The, the Titans fans have been giving me a really hard time. And I, I like their team. I just don't love their team. I'm not like, this is a juggernaut, one of the top two teams in football. If the Titans are that, and the, their fans keep yelling at me that they are, they're going to prove it on Sunday. But I think it's going to see a close game. And this feels like uh, two playoff teams kind of running into each other full speed. And I'm excited to see who's left standing at the end of it on Sunday. This is the game to watch. I'm disappointed it's not a Sunday night football game, uh, but Titans Steelers on Sunday. If you're going to watch one game all weekend, this is the game you should watch. Uh, Bengals Browns. The Browns are a better team, or at really every position other than quarterback. Um, you know, the, if the Browns lose this game, it's going to be because of Baker Mayfield and because of Joe Burrow. Baker would have to play badly, and Joe Burrow would have to play really well and make key throws down the stretch in order for the Browns to lose this game. I don't. I think it'd be very surprising if Cleveland lost, but I don't know that actually it would be surprising. It would be very telling about Baker Mayfield if Cleveland Cleveland loses this game on Sunday. It's interesting. Uh, former Browns quarterback, uh, quarterback former Browns head coach Hugh Jackson made a statement this week where he said that. In his opinion, the Browns were misusing Baker Mayfield. He's in, is uh, under center a ton. He's, you know, they're running the ball a bunch. They're not really having Baker Mayfield in shotgun as much as he would like. And I don't really know that you can hate Hugh Jackson. A lot of Browns fans do. I don't think Hugh Jackson is entirely wrong here. Hugh Jackson drafted Baker Mayfield. He had a plan for Baker Mayfield, and. The Browns do have Baker Mayfield to under center a bunch. They do have, they're running the ball a ton. They're not really relying on Baker Mayfield to throw the ball. They don't trust him, it feels like. And it's interesting because Baker Mayfield's ego is all wrapped up in this, and he wants to prove himself. He feels like he's not playing very well. So the Browns are a better team. But if the Browns don't beat the Bengals on Sunday, it's going to be because of, it'll be because of Baker Mayfield and because of Baker Mayfield's lack of clean and disciplined decision-making. So keep your eye on the Browns-Bengals. We're going to learn a lot about Baker Mayfield on Sunday. Now, the Buccaneers and the Raiders. This is John Gruden playing his former team, the Buccaneers. Uh, Really, it's funny because he got traded from the Raiders to the Buccaneers. He won a Super Bowl there. Uh, A wild, interesting story. I am curious which Buccaneers team shows up on Sunday. Because the Buccaneers are disciplined and they avoid penalties. They should win this game. The Buccaneers are a really good football team when they're disciplined. But I also do not believe you should overlook the Raiders here. Every week, the Raiders coaching staff, starting with John Gruden, they do a great job putting their players in a position to succeed. They have really, really smart game plans. I, every time I watch the Raiders, I go, wow, that that was smart. That's a really good play design. That's a really good thought. I mean, the Raiders are very, very smart. Now, they don't have the talent yet to always properly execute their game plans, but their ideas are really, really good. And the quiet key to success for Tampa Bay this weekend, and really every weekend, uh, you know, the media gives all the attention to Tom Brady and the offense, and now Antonio Brown's coming. The quiet key to the Buccaneers is their defense. Their defense is really, really good. They got two good corners, and I'm really interested to see how Derek Carr does against this really good defense who, again... They got some really good. I, uh, Charlton and Jamel, is it Jamel? Jamel something. I, I, Jamel and Charlton. I forget the, the first name and the last name of the other guy. I apologize. I don't remember. Um, I remember the first name of the one guy and the last name of the other guy. I can't remember both their names fully, but I remember every time I watch the Buccaneers, I go, that's great technique. Uh, that corner made a great play. It's, it's great play after great play after great play. The Buccaneers have really good sound corners, a good secondary. Uh, Antoine Winfield Jr., their young safety is growing a lot. And I I am telling you, the Buccaneers have a good defense. They just got to play good, clean, sound football. Now, a wild card here is whether or not Henry Ruggs, the Raiders rookie receiver, the first receiver drafted in the NFL draft in 2020, is he going to make a big play or two? Because when he makes a big play or two down the field— It really, really helps alleviate pressure for the Raiders because defenses have to respect him vertically. Uh, It opens up running lanes. It opens up things underneath for their great tight end, Darren Waller. That's a key to success for the Raiders this weekend is can Henry Ruggs be a gigantic vertical threat against the Buccaneers? Keep your eye on the Raiders, Buccaneers. I think the Raiders are more in this game than people realize as long as Derek Carr plays one of his better games. Now, the 49ers-Patriots... Uh, First of all, the Patriots played terrible last week. It's one of the worst games I've ever seen a Bill Belichick coach team play. They were horrible against uh, the Broncos. I do not see the Patriots following up a bad week with another bad game. Now, this should be a great matchup. I think both teams are—I love Kyle Shanahan. He's a very good coach in San Francisco. Bill Belichick's obviously the greatest coach of all time. But I smell blood in the water, meaning that – and I would call myself a, a Jimmy Garoppolo skeptic because Jimmy Garoppolo and 49er fans hate when I point this out. Is it 49ers fans or 49er fans? Is there an astronaut? I have no idea. Uh, I can't believe I talk for a living. It's crazy. <laughs> but what I know when I watch football and when I watch Jimmy Garoppolo play, Jimmy Garoppolo struggles when he's forced to throw the ball vertically. He's got very average to maybe below average arm talent. Um, And I believe Bill Belichick is well aware of all that. And the Patriots defense is going to force the 49ers. If you're going to beat us, you're going to beat us throwing the ball vertically downfield. And I am not sure that the 49ers can do that. Maybe George Kittle steps up and is phenomenal and beats man coverage multiple times. I don't know. That's a wild card there. Brandon Ayuk is a very big physical receiver. But Jimmy Garoppolo, I don't have confidence he can dial up 25-yard throw after 25-yard throw vertically downfield. And, uh, I, I mean, last week when the 49ers beat the Rams, they were very limiting with Jimmy Garoppolo. They ran the ball a ton. They threw the ball behind the line of scrimmage a lot, running a lot of screen passes. The Patriots are not going to allow that. And uh, I guess all this depends on how well the Patriots' defense executes. So if the Patriots play anything like they did last week against Denver – Everything I'm saying makes no sense. I sound like an idiot because the 49ers will dominate. Um, But I I really don't think the Patriots are going to show up with another bad performance on defense after they just did last week. I think the Patriots are going to be more buttoned up. They had more practice time. And uh, keep your eye on how Jimmy Garoppolo throws the football in this game. 49ers fans hate that. But I think part of why they hate when I say that is because I'm pointing out something they've also noticed themselves. Uh, The Jaguars and the Chargers. I'm all in on the L.A. Chargers this weekend. I think they're going to win big. Uh, Justin Herbert's going to be the star of this game. And unfortunately, one of my favorite players in the NFL, Gardner Minshew, he's going to struggle. And I think when you compare um, the eyeball test, we're going to see Justin Herbert on one sideline, throwing the ball a ton, running around. He's a big, physical, gifted, talented athlete. And what's the weakness of Gardner Minshew is that he's not very big. He's not very physically talented. He doesn't have a very strong arm. And when you have direct comparison in the same game of Justin Herbert on one team and Gardner Minshew on the other, I think it's going to be very concerning. Now, I was actually on the sideline when college game day came to uh, Pullman, Washington for Gardner Minshew versus Justin Herbert. I One of the, the fun things I want to predict this weekend is that I guarantee they're going to show clips of when Gardner Minshew beat Justin Herbert in Pullman, Washington, uh, on that in that night game. I was on the sideline watching Justin Herbert. I have a picture on my Instagram of Justin Herbert like 10 feet away from me. Um, and I I I am I best this is really meaningless for how the game works out. I think the Chargers are gonna dominate and Justin Herbert is gonna look really good and it's gonna make Gardner Minshew look bad. But I guarantee you they're gonna show a clip or two from the time that Justin Herbert played Gardner Minshew. Head-to-head in college at Washington State in Pullman, Washington. Uh, so if you're watching the game, look for that. The Lions and the Falcons. Unfortunately, the Lions rookie corner Jeff Okuda is becoming a liability for the Lions defense. He is a guy that every team that plays the Lions, they attack him because they know he's the weak link on their defense. And the Falcons are known for we got great receivers, we got a great quarterback, we launched the ball vertically, I believe the Falcons offense is going to pick on Jeff Okuda. It's going to be a long day for him. <laughs> and I, I really am concerned because I don't know that the Lions offense is going to be able to keep up with the Falcons offense. Uh, the Falcons are going to win this game. And Jeff Okuda is going to be the focal point here. And people are going to be calling for, is it Bob Quinn, the guy, the general manager of the Lions? They're going to be like, why didn't we pick this guy, Jeff Okuda? They're already saying that. And when you watch the Falcons shred Jeff Okuda on Sunday... People in Detroit are going to be asking questions, and they're going to want answers. Why did our team draft this guy? We we don't understand. We could have had other players that are really, really good, and instead we're stuck with, stuck with Jeff Okuda, who's getting burned every single Sunday. How about the Cowboys and Washington? I'm really, really excited for this game. I don't normally watch a game where two teams have one win this deep into the season and go, I mean, I'll watch the game, i watch every game, but it's rare that I'm excited for a game. I guess the Cowboys are 2-4, and four and the Washington football team is 1-5. I can't wait for this game. Uh, the Cowboys need to win. They cannot afford to win. There's a lot of dissension in Dallas right now. Uh, players are complaining. Fans are angry. And I am very, very fascinated by Washington's quarterback, Kyle Allen. I, I really I think he's interesting. He's got to play clean. That's a, really my question: Is can Kyle Allen play a clean football game? We'll find out. I, I I really want to see that. I'm I'm curious if that happens. I'm also curious whether or not Washington can create pressure and generate pressure with their defensive line. Now Ezekiel Elliott, the Cowboys running back, has a fumbling problem. I am not confident in the Cowboys quarterback Andy Dalton, and I believe I'm going to go on a limb here. I believe Washington wins this football game. They have way less talent, but Washington is better coached. Uh, They execute things better. And I think Washington is going to win this game. They're going to surprise Dallas. And people will be calling for Mike McCarthy's head in Dallas. People are going to want Mike McCarthy fired after they lose to Washington on Sunday. Hey, that's ballsy. I don't mind. That's what I think is actually going to happen. And we will find out if I'm right. Again, Dallas is way more talented, but unfortunately, Washington is better coached, and I think it's gonna, that's what's going to play out on Sunday. How about the Chiefs and the Broncos? I believe Kansas City wins this game. Uh, I wish Denver didn't have all the injuries they have. I really would love to see a Broncos-Chiefs game where Bron- the Broncos are at 100% with a young quarterback and a bunch of weapons around him. Uh, Denver's going to put up a fight, though. Uh, They're getting a lot of people presumably back from injury where they're getting uh, cornerback A.J. Boye back. They're getting tight end Noah Fant back. Running back Melvin Gordon. Uh, Maybe K.J. Hamler, their rookie receiver. And I'm really curious how the Broncos' young quarterback, Drew Locke, does. In the end, Kansas City's a better team. Uh, The Chiefs run the ball really well. They play good defense. Uh, They obviously have Patrick Mahomes. But I think in the first half, Denver makes this game interesting. And then in the second half, Kansas City is going to pull away. But keep your eye on how Denver does early on. I want to see how Drew Locke can do uh, in this situation. I want to see Drew Locke continue to grow as a quarterback. Uh, he had two key mistakes at the end of the game against the Patriots last weekend. But I'm really excited to watch Drew Locke. I'm going to watch this game uh, with with eyeballs on Drew Locke. How does he do? How does he handle some of the uh, intricate coverages that the Kansas City Chiefs are going to throw out? Remember... The Chiefs have a really good quarterback, uh, really good defensive coordinator, uh, Steve Spagnuolo. And I really want to see how Drew Locke can handle some of the, the looks the Chiefs are going to throw at him. How does he handle it? I don't know. Uh, again, can the Broncos make this game interesting? I think Kansas City, no matter what happens, pulls away. But I'm curious whether or not. The, the, the storyline here is can Kansas City keep it interesting and how long can they do that if they can at all? The Packers and the Texans, I am all in on the Packers here. Uh, They're the better team, first of all. But also, the Green Bay Packers got embarrassed last Sunday by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They played terrible. Their quarterback, Aaron Rodgers, played horrible, made uncharacteristic mistakes. And the Green Bay Packers on Sunday are eager to to kind of prove that the game last weekend does not represent who they are. They're going to say last week was a fluke or a weird phenomenon. They want redemption. Should be fun, though. Uh, Aaron Rodgers versus Deshaun Watson. But Green Bay is going to win on Sunday. They're going to beat the Texans. Uh, and I I just uh, I feel very, very convicted in that. Saints-Panthers. There's not a lot of interesting about this game, to my opinion. Uh, there are you have Teddy Bridgewater playing his former team, the Saints. It's a fun headline. Otherwise, New Orleans is a better team. I hope it's close. I hope it's interesting. I don't think it will be. I'm curious how well Drew, uh, uh, Drew Brees throws the ball. Remember, the Panthers have literally have like four rookies starting on defense. So I believe the Saints are going to win pretty easily. They're going to walk away. Uh, but I, I'm excited to watch Teddy Bridgewater play his former team. And uh, I'd love to see if Teddy could beat his former team or do really well against them. It'd be very, I'd feel very good for him. So I'd love to see Teddy Bridgewater do well. I love the Panthers. People think I don't like them. I don't know how you could possibly have that opinion because I, I love Matt Rule. I love Teddy Bridgewater. I love, the, I love everything the Carolina Panthers are doing. I literally gush about them every single week, and I still get messages from people saying, why do you hate the Carolina Panthers? I go, I don't. <laughs> but um, I don't know. I think the Panthers lose on Sunday, and it's not like I hate them. It's just that the Saints are a really good football team and a lot better than Carolina is. I don't think it's very unreasonable to say that. Now, Sunday Night Football... You have the Saints and—what am I saying? The, you have the Arizona Cardinals and the Seattle Seahawks. I have not seen enough this year from the Cardinals that would compel me to believe they can beat a top-notch team like the Seattle Seahawks, uh, especially not in primetime. People know I love the Cardinals. I really, I was all in on them before the year started. I am a big Kyler Murray believer. Uh, but I so far this year, Arizona's been disappointing. And I, I, they lost to the Lions. They lost to, uh, what was it, the, the Panthers, I believe. There was some other game. that I think it was the Panthers. The, the, the Cardinals have been disappointing this year. And Kyler Murray's made mistakes I didn't expect him to make. Um, I thought, you know, the Cardinals blew out the Cowboys last weekend. And my takeaway was like, yeah, the Cardinals won. That's because the Cowboys are terrible, not because the Cardinals are very good. I don't really have a lot of confidence here that the Cardinals can beat Seattle. Uh, I believe Seattle's a way better football team in every way. And so Seattle should win the game on Sunday. And uh, if if the Cardinals can win, I'd be happy. It'd be cool. I'd also be very, very surprised. Now, on Monday Night Football, the final game we'll talk about, we have the Bears at the L.A. Rams in that new stadium, SoFi Stadium. I have no idea here. I don't know what's going to happen. The Rams are better coached, but I'm also not confident in Jared Goff, the Rams quarterback, against that really good Bears defense. I also hate to bet against Nick Foles because the Bears quarterback, Nick Foles, has a knack for always finding a way to win. He'll play ugly for three quarters, then turn it on in the fourth quarter when he needs to. He's kind of the definition of clutch. It's weird and confusing. The Bears are 5-1. and one, The Rams are 4-2. and two. I, I, I just have no idea what's going to happen here. Uh, and that's why these kind of games are really fun. These are my favorite football games to watch when I, for example... Uh, the Bills and the Jets. It's not interesting. The Bills are going to kick the crap out of the Jets. Or the Saints and the Panthers. I don't know how. I don't see a world where the you know the Panthers beat the Saints on Sunday. Now, every once in a while you have an upset where like a team like the Broncos will beat the Patriots. This is one of those games where I just have no idea. And that's really fun. And I, I don't know who's going to win. I hope you watch it. It's going to be really, really interesting. Monday Night Football, finally a good matchup on Monday night. And, um, I again, I think the Rams are better coached. You would think that would mean they're going to win. They do have Aaron Donald, uh, but also the Ra- the Bears have Khalil Mack. And so I we'll see. I, I think we're also going to hear one, – one storyline to follow here is that I have long said I would take Aaron Donald over Khalil Mack. And they know they're playing against each other. That stuff does matter. And Khalil Mack and Aaron Donald are going to have a desire to put on a show – and so they are the guy that deserves a bigger contract with more money and more recognition. I think because of the position Aaron Donald plays, he has more impact because he plays. He's an interior defensive lineman, meaning that he can have uh, an effect on the running game and get pressure on the quarterback and help the people around him on the right side and the left side on the outside. Whereas Khalil Mack is an end, an edge rusher, where he doesn't. he needs help from the inside more. He can't impact the other side at all. Uh, and if you want to avoid Khalil Mack, you run away from him. So I think Aaron Donald's going to have a bigger impact on the game, but that is a storyline that matters to Khalil Mack and Aaron Donald. I didn't think about it before doing this topic, but uh, keep your eye on Khalil Mack and Aaron Donald. They're going to be highlighted throughout the game, and uh, I really have no idea who's going to win, and I just think it's going to be really, really interesting and really, really fun to watch that game on Monday Night Football. So those are my picks for... My predictions for NFL Week 7. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, and it's going to be really fun. Happy football. Enjoy it. Have a great time this weekend. And we'll see you on the other side. So I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we'll do Ask Zach, answering questions from the audience. My name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. I hope you're doing well. Uh, before I get into Ask Zach, I want to talk about Aaron Rodgers real quick. For quite a while, Aaron Rodgers has gotten kind of a bad rap as a leader where I think back to moments where I I remember him snapping at a young receiver here and there or having this frustrated facial expression where he's like kind of like frowning or scorning a receiver Uh, and watching Aaron Rodgers this year, I feel, you know, I, I feel actually kind of embarrassed it's taken me this long to get to this point but as I've kind of molded over and had a lot of processing and a lot of thought about Aaron Rodgers and I reflect on my time as a quarterback in college I think Aaron Rodgers is simply a veteran quarterback with high expectations he's won an MVP he won a Super Bowl and Aaron Rodgers knows how hard it is to succeed at a high level not just in the NFL but at anything and it's the same for Tom Brady. Tom Brady is notoriously hard on the people around him. He's, you know, They demand a lot from their teammates. But if you listen to the media, and myself included, I think there's somewhat of a bias in favor of Tom Brady that is a little bit of a double standard and negative towards Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady, they don't get on their teammates because they're jerks. It's because, again, succeeding is really hard. Really hard. And if you want to succeed at a high level, you gotta have high standards. Tom Brady yells at his teammates, nobody seems to care. I think Aaron Rodgers, and I think kind of hurt himself because he's always been viewed as passive aggressive for some of the stuff that you watch Aaron Rodgers, instead of people prefer I would prefer to be yelled at to address something head on than if I just look at me angrily. And I don't I think part of that is just that who Aaron Rodgers is. And I don't know that we can judge Aaron Rodgers from what you see during a football game because uh, you don't see what happens at practice, I guess is my point. And I don't know that it's entirely true that Aaron Rodgers is just some horrible, passive-aggressive guy. As I watch Aaron this year and I think about it and I, I really try to figure out who Aaron Rodgers is, I just don't think that's true. And I believe that Aaron, similar to Tom Brady, is simply a veteran quarterback who's had tremendous levels of success. And he knows how hard that is to do. And he has high expectations, as he should, by the way. Aaron Rodgers has high expectations for his teammates. And I don't think Aaron Rodgers is this horrible, awful leader. I think he's a guy who has high standards, who expects a lot from his teammates, again, as he should. Because if you want to win or do anything at a high level, you have to have high standards and high expectations to get you there. Let's now do—I want to look at some questions, comments, concerns, and thoughts and ideas from the audience. It's time for Ask Zach, my favorite part of the show. Uh, It's where I read questions from the audience. In case you don't know how it works, you go to patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumbler. You give a dollar a month. You can give more if you want to. Please do. It literally helps pay my rent. Um, But a dollar a month gives you access to submit questions or comments or concerns or thoughts or ideas on Patreon. Uh, Now, if you submit a question or a comment or whatever, I do not guarantee to read it on the show. And whatever was too flippant there, I don't like it. I value everything sent to me. My only guarantee is if you send in anything written to Strong Opinion Sports to patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler, my only guarantee is I look at every single question with my eyeballs. I pick the top couple, I read them on the show, but I I want you to know, I, I don't, I don't know what's possible to read everything sent to me on on the show, but I really like hearing from you guys. I like listening to what you guys have to say. And I read what I can on the show. It really is interesting to me. It's really fun. We'll dive in. The first uh, question is from Darcy. Darcy writes in. He says, he or she, they say, I think Darcy's a guy, my guess. uh, And I probably, I think Darcy's a Mormon name, actually. I I may be wrong there. Based on the question, you might figure out why I have this deduction. Uh, But I knew a guy named Darcy who was Mormon in high school. Great guy, really cool dude, and I think Darcy's a name uh, you would see more in Utah, which is a lovely state. I think I'm actually going to move to Utah soon uh, because it's a lot cheaper than where I live, and it's got cool mountains, so interesting thoughts there. Darcy writes to uh, they say, hi, Zach. Thoughts on BYU and their quarterback, Zach Wilson? I've heard some people saying that he was, uh, He's. I'm, I'm going to restart this because I, I hate messing it up. I want to make us a breakout on the show. I'm going to leave it in. You hear my screw up. It's fine. Whatever Darcy writes in. They say, Hey, Zach thoughts on BYU and their quarterback, Zach Wilson. I've heard some people saying that he has first or second round pick potential and that he may have the potential to become an NFL quarterback thoughts and these possibilities uh, or you know, are these possibilities or are Cougar fans getting ahead of themselves? PS absolutely love the show. Thank you, Darcy. I appreciate that. I think, you know, First of all, with Zach Wilson, uh, I have no idea, honestly, what the NFL thinks of him. I watch Zach Wilson and I go, wow, this dude has mastered his offense. He's got tremendous feel for the game. Uh, there are moments where he'll you know, you know change an arm angle or he, I guess his level of improvisation at a micro level is crazy how he's fluid. He's got tremendous feel for the game. He feels bodies around him very well. And I I think his skill set because he's got great habits his habits certainly translate to the NFL we'll see what they think of him as a you know talent and arm strength and I got to see more film honestly I hope that somebody at BYU uh, can listen to this or see this and send me film uh, instead of watching the TV copy because I love the guy and I got to say that I my favorite two college quarterbacks to watch kind of my almost, I almost want to say guilty pleasure. Because I I have never talked about these two quarterbacks in the show. I've never talked about BYU's quarterback Zach Wilson. I've also never talked about Brady White at Memphis. They're actually weirdly enough my favorite quarterbacks to watch. Partially probably because I know I'm not going to talk about them on the show very often, so I just get to relax my mind and watch as a fan and enjoy what I'm seeing. Uh, but they're they're again like they're like a guilty pleasure because I'm not sure if they're NFL quarterbacks, but they're so good, and I. Brady White's more a guy who's dominating in his system. Uh, he had a game last weekend where he had six touchdowns. And anytime a guy has six touchdowns, you go, holy crap, that's crazy. But also, you know, Zach Wilson is shredding people. He is really, really proficient. And Zach Wilson is so good off schedule. And so I I don't see why Zach Wilson's skill set doesn't translate to the NFL. He might win the Heisman. I, I doubt he does because he's playing against really – you know, low-level college programs. People tend to fall in love with a guy like Trevor Lawrence or Mac Jones. Uh, Mac, jo- Mac Jones at Bama. Mac, I always want to say Brown, the coach. It's actually Mac Jones, uh, the guy at Alabama. So I don't know that Zach Wilson wins the Heisman Trophy. I think he's definitely at the podium or on the stage, whatever that, you know, that the audience where they I guess maybe not because of COVID. I don't know. He'll be in the running for Heisman Trophy uh, he'll be a finalist for the Heisman Trove, I guess. Is what I would say. Normally, on a normal year without COVID, he would go to New York and be at the big event. And they probably do it remotely this year. But um, I, I don't know. I want to see more film of Zach Wilson, like the the All 22 from a farther back angle rather than the TV copy. But Zach Wilson, I, I guess the best thing he does is yeah, he knows his offense very well. He's got great ball location. He does all this good stuff, but he's actually just really got tremendous feel for the game. His improvisation is unbelievable. And if Zach Wilson is not deemed to be a starting quarterback or a high level draft pick in the NFL, I wanna see him in Kansas City backing up Patrick Mahomes because their improvisation skills are very similar in the way that I, I don't know how to describe it any other way than just the feel for the game. Uh Zach Wilson has like eyes in the back of his head. You watch Daniel Jones, the quarterback of the New York Giants, and Daniel Jones completely lacks spatial awareness and an ability to use the peripheral vision and feel bodies around him. Zach Wilson is the complete opposite. He's so good at feeling pressure around him. It's kind of crazy. Like he, the subtle movements he'll make to find an, a, a, a you know throwing lane or you know move this way to get a handoff a little bit better or make a defender miss with just a subtle little shoulder move. I I really love the way that Zach Wilson. It's just an instinctual feel for the game. It's very, very hard to duplicate. And I don't mean as a runner. A lot of people, when you say that, they're like, oh, they run the ball. Well, no, Zach Wilson has this crazy feel for I got to like dip my shoulder this way to get the ball between two defenders on a, a five-year out. Crazy stuff. I mean, Zach Wilson's very high level uh, with stuff you simply cannot coach and uh, or teach. And so I, I'm a big fan. Zach Wilson's my favorite quarterback to watch in college. Him and Brady White at Memphis are awesome and uh, I I just genuinely enjoy any time I can find an opportunity to watch a BYU football game and watch Zach Wilson. Uh, I'm a big fan. He's awesome, and I love his game. I I really respect what he does, and a lot of it's natural and uh, just something you cannot coach or or teach a guy to do. Jake writes in. He says, hey, Zach, what is your favorite or go-to fast food place or your favorite restaurant? Mine is Red Robin. Love the content. So, Jake, let me ask you. That's very, very. There's a lot there. I, I, I would certainly hope you don't think Red Robin is a fast food food place, right? I would call that like, like what is it, like speed dining, where it's not, it's not five star or like really high level nice. It's also not like fast food. It's kind of that in between franchise level, but that's not fast food. I hope you know that. I don't think it is. I um, go to fast food, Taco Bell. I, it's like my horrible guilty pleasure. I love. I love chalupas. I love tacos. I love Baja Blast. It's amazing. Uh, but I'm not gonna use that as my that's that's not the answer I want to count. That's just my like if I'm on vitamins and it's late at night, that's what I lean on is I, I love some Taco Bell. And my, my my belly's starting to show it. It's really bad. Um yeah, quarantine's been rough. Twenty twenty's been hard. Uh thank goodness for Taco Bell, right? Uh, no, my, my favorite restaurant on planet Earth. I I I'm pretty bullish on this. My my favorite food, my favorite restaurant. I absolutely love skyline chili. Skyline chili is my favorite food on the planet. I get made fun of by people around me. People, I live in the northwest. I live in Washington, and you live in live in Washington. People go, "Why would you put chili and cheese on spaghetti? That sounds terrible." And I, I get it that, it. that it didn't grow up with it. I would say you like spaghetti. And you like chili and cheese when I combine them. It's really great. Uh, I I converted my girlfriend. She really likes it. It's one of her favorite guilty pleasure foods now as well. Skyline Chili is regional. It's only in four states, Ohio, Kentucky, Indiana, and Florida. And I think at some point in my lifetime, I I really want to save up and buy a house someday. Uh, I'm going to have to leave. I live in Washington. It's really expensive here. And I'm going to have to leave where I live. And so I think I'm going to live for a year probably in Salt Lake City, Utah, because it's cheap and there's cool mountains and hiking and I wouldn't want to live there forever, but it'd be interesting to live there for a little bit um, and kind of get that interesting experience. And then I would go to Cincinnati, Ohio and live there for a year because I really want my girlfriend I'm going to marry someday. I want her to be able to go to Skyline Chili and sit down in a Skyline Chili and have the chili and learn what a three-way versus a four-way versus a uh, – an, uh, an all-way. The, uh, I, <laughs> the, the ways – when you're talking about your girlfriend and you say ways – well, you don't realize that that's combinations of chili, cheese, onion, spaghetti, yada yada. Um, and I, I want her to experience skyline chili. It's amazing. It's my favorite food. And I I want my girlfriend to go with me. I want to live in Cincinnati for a year. It's a dream of mine I've always had. And if I rent for if I rent a place in uh, Salt Lake City, which is a lot cheaper there than where I live now, and then in Cincinnati where it's a lot cheaper, I hope by then I'd have enough money in two years from now to have a uh, save up a down payment to buy a house. That'd be amazing. Uh, but that's kind of my long-term plan. And I really, really, really want my girlfriend to taste Skyline Chili. It's my favorite restaurant in the world. I love Skyline Chili. I love Ohio. I love Cincinnati tremendously. I've been there. It's amazing. And, uh, yeah, my answer, my favorite food, and my favorite restaurant is, in fact, Skyline Chili. Uh, and if you can get it in Cincinnati, it's really, really cool. Now, Covington, Kentucky has a good one, too. Uh, I like that area. It's awesome. Andrew writes in. Andrew says... Number one, Derrick Henry, dot, 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 MVP material. And then he says, number two, if the MVP award was decided by you, what would your criteria be? So first of all, Andrew is a childhood friend. And it's rare to have a guy who I knew from high school or earlier that listens to the show, that follows the show. Uh, One of the things you got to realize when you make content is that people that you – are close with in real life probably are not going to listen to or care about your content uh they see you as zach schaumler the blank and they can't transition from the quarterback or the guy who works at the car wash or the college student to the sports broadcaster so andrew it's amazing you watch it's amazing you listen that's really really cool um it's hard for a running back to win the mvp i don't know that that's going to happen here for derrick henry uh and i i think maybe if My criteria was what was in in place. He might win that. So I think most valuable player is a very, very stupid award. And the biggest problem I have is that this term most valuable is undefinable. What makes a player valuable? What's what's more valuable this guy than that guy? You don't know. And so what I would do is say we're going to scrap most valuable doesn't exist anymore. And as I, as I think about this, maybe what I should do is actually just do a, a Strong Opinion Sports NFL Player of the Year. That's actually – I'm going to do that. I'm going to make a video now and have a – I'm going to make a little trophy or a plaque or something. And that sounds expensive. Probably not. I'm going to do something, though, where I'm going to give out the Zach Shomler Strong Opinion Sports NFL Player of the Year rather than the NFL MVP because the MVP is stupid. I hate the name. How do you measure, measure valuable? I don't know. Player of the year, let's be honest. It's about some of it's the numbers and the stats they put up. Some of it is the context of what they do. How, you know, do they carry their team? Like you can have incredible stats. Christian McCaffrey had incredible stats last year for the Carolina Panthers. His team did not make the playoffs. So people go, we don't care. So it's how you're the MVP is measured by your statistics, how well you do, how well your team does. And then part of it, let's be honest, is about the story. People love a new young interesting story they did not see coming and so I would change MVP to NFL player of the year it solves all your problems player of the year means it's the player that had the it's the player of the year this is the player this year that shined the most in our opinion meaning they put up the best numbers or contextually did really well they lifted their team up and their story was probably compelling so that's my criteria. That's my solution to solve the problem that is the, the crisis facing America. <gasps> Let's be polarizing, right? It has to be because the media has to make everything sound like the worst new tragedy of all time. Um, I guess it's kind of stupid to say that during global pandemic. But my point is um, – <laughs> what am I doing? i talk I talking about sports for a living. Um, I, would, I, would, I would save the MVP crisis by saying it's no longer an MVP award. It's a player of the year award. Bam, problem solved. That's what I'm going to do from here on out for the NFL. You'll get my NFL player of the year award coming in February 2021. Look forward to that. Landon writes in. Landon has a good question. He says, which country would you travel to if you had the chance? There's so many I'd want to go to. I, I don't, I've never been outside of the U.S. Now I've traveled a lot. Inside of America, I've been all over the up and down the West Coast. I've been to New York. I've been down the East Coast. I've been I traveled a lot for work, whether it was, you know, filming football games or doing, uh, you know, working. I worked on a movie. Uh, I just traveled a little bit on my own. I went to like my girlfriend, and my dad and I all went to uh, Yellowstone earlier this summer during lockdown. We're like, well, we can't we're stuck here. Might as well be stuck in a cabin or in the woods in Montana. Um. I love the mountains. I'm really interested in Northern Europe, the cold places. Um, I the Caribbean, for example, has never really interested me that much. Partly because it's first of all, it's too hot. Like the Caribbean is so hot that all you want to do is sit by the pool all day. um, And I don't really have. I want to hike. I want to go outside. By the way, from what I can tell, there's not a lot of interesting hiking or even mountains in the Caribbean. The Caribbean's all very flat and hot. I hate things that are too hot, and I hate things that are really flat. Um, I do love the beach though. And so I think Hawaii, uh, I think honestly, and I'm saving up, I probably, I'm probably two, three, maybe four years away from being able to buy a house someday, you know, got to save it for a down payment and yada, yada. Uh, I don't know if it's possible to live in Hawaii. If I can, by then, uh, I would love to live in Hawaii because, and I've never been there either, by the way, I sound like an ignorant idiot, but I don't know. Uh, what I love about Hawaii, it's very moderate. It's never too hot or too cold. It's never – it doesn't get to, like, 95 degrees in Kauai or in Hilo, Hawaii or on the Big Island. Uh, And there's mountains and beach. The Caribbean has just beach. There's not really any mountains. And the Virgin Islands, for example, are tiny. It's, like, 71 square miles, uh, the U.S. Virgin Islands. They're tiny, they're flat, and they're really hot. I would never want to go to the Caribbean – I don't even want to visit it. I, I think there's better. If I want to go to a beach, I can go to beaches in a lot of places that are not the Caribbean. So I have no interest in the Caribbean. It's kind of weird. I'd rather go to like Australia or whatever. Uh, New Zealand sounds amazing. There's It's a little bit colder, but there's mountains and it's really rural. I like rural places. Um, now, where's the one place I'll never go, but I probably most want to go? I, I can see, I think it's, I don't know. I think it's. I, for me, it feels like a possibility that someday I might be able to actually see Europe. I think it'd be cool. Uh, I'd want to go to, like, Scotland or um, the, those northern Ireland or Norway and see the fjords. For me, it feels like a—or or Iceland to be really cool. A really difficult thing to attain is a, a long trip to Europe overseas, but it feels like a possibility. A place that I probably never will be able to go in my lifetime that would love to go other than like Mars is Socotra Yemen. Socotra Yemen is a, it's a, about a thousand square mile Island in the Arabian Sea. That's about like Kauai times two. It's about two times the size of Kauai, the Hawaiian Island. It's completely desert. Uh, and as a result of it, it's like, it's very arid and remote and it's isolated. And there's almost no water there. It's like a, it's like a drought all the time. As a result of that, there's this crazy rare bunch of plants that are don't only grow on Socotra Island, and they're like these thick gourd-looking trees that have like tiny little flowers. Little look like fingers, fingers with like tiny little green leaves sticking out. But they're these fat, round, gigantic, like look like eggplant tree things. Uh, this really cool. Tree, the dragon's blood tree that looks like a crown, and if you poke it, the sap is red. Socotra, Yemen, and it's Yemen meaning like it's war torn and it's hard to get to uh and and yemen is on the mainland socotra is owned by yemen but they're not really there's no civil war there it's too far and isolated to do that they got their first road in like 2011 it's this crazy hard to get to wild place you've probably never heard of socotra but it's this really interesting actually i found it it was on a call of duty modern warfare no call of duty black ops 2 Map for multiplayer, and I went, What is this place? and I looked it up, and it was not anything like the map showed. No, Call of Duty, Call of Duty Black Ops One, actually, now that I think about it, has this really cool Socotra Yemen map. Anyway, my point is Socotra Yemen, look it up if you want to Google, have a cool rabbit hole to Google search someday. It's this wild, remote place. There's like lots of videos of 4K traveling and drone footage. Um, I would love to go there someday, I don't know how I would. Uh, logistically, financially, all these other problems. But uh, I think if I could go, if someone said, hey, genie in a bottle tomorrow, all expenses paid for two weeks, and you're not going to, like, time will freeze, you won't miss work, where would you go tomorrow? I'd say Socotra, Yemen. I want to see that place before I die. I don't know how to get there. I guess I'm speaking really passionately about it, but it seems like an impossible place I'll never get to go. Uh, And Socotra, Yemen. This crazy, weird, interesting place. If I can go there, I totally would. Okay, Winters writes in. Uh, Winters says, Hey Zach, what were some of the steps you took in your life that brought you here along with some of the stuff you took as a person? I think stuff you took, uh, like stuff you went through. So um, the number one thing I, I credit for the my career path and uh, my successful podcast and my, what I do uh, is I, and I'm self-employed. I've done this now for over a year and I'm bragging. I'm just, it's crazy. It kind of blows my mind still to this day. Um, My brother died in 2016. My brother took his own life. It was terrible. It was horrible. Um, And my brother always wanted to do a podcast with me. And so I, I, I was like, I, I never listened to a single podcast until the night my little brother died. And uh, my brother loved this po- this podcast with a guy named Colin Moriarty. And uh, I'm really – I still listen to Colin. It's one of my favorite shows, uh, Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. And uh, and, and actually, Knockback, he does even better than Sacred Symbols, in my opinion. I love Knockback. Um, and I the night my brother died, I finally listened to the podcast my brother always wanted to, me to listen to. And it was amazing. And it, it really – opened my eyes to, oh my gosh, podcasts are really cool. And when I was grieving and crying and struggling uh, for years, I mean, I had this giant backlog of years worth of podcasts to go back and listen to. And when I was going through a really hard time after my brother died, podcasts were kind of there for me and the thing that kind of helped distract me and fill my ears with information and interesting stuff to listen to. Um, And one of the other things, my brother always wanted to do a podcast with me and me being this great brother I was, not really. Uh, I, I didn't really... I never really listened to that. I was like, ah, podcast, What are what is that stupid radio thing? I don't care. Like, I just it sounded dumb to me. Um, and so I, when my brother died, I looked into podcasts. I'm like, this is actually really cool. And I, I regret never doing a podcast with my little brother. And so everything I do on the show is to honor him, uh, Zane. Um, I also, you know, I, I went through a lot. I played college football. Uh, I think I kind of had this perfect storm of I played college football, so I have, I think, pretty deep insight into the game of football. I also worked for ESPN and Fox Sports and did a lot of sideline work and a lot of filming, so I kind of learned about the technical side of doing this, too. So I kind of had the perfect storm of I had football knowledge, I had technical knowledge, I was able to do all that stuff and make the show possible where I edit the show, I film the show, I do all the editing, I do all the work for everything, I do the graphics, everything you see or here on camera, I made it happen by myself. Uh, kind of a perfect storm of that. My dad has been a huge influence on me. My dad has been self-employed for years now. Um, He's a writer. My dad always told me, hey, chase your dreams. It's okay to take risks. It's okay to do what you actually want to do. It's okay to have a job you enjoy. Uh, I hated college so much. It was horrible. Uh, But my college dorm room, which I I have a lot of student loans. I had to take out student loans uh, to pay for my dorm room. But my dorm room, and my stupid student loans made it possible for me to have a place to record a show and build the show. I never got my degree, but it was all worth it because my the money I still am paying now for my college student loans um, gave me a place to record and build Strong Opinion Sports and free internet and stuff like that. Free is the wrong word there, but internet that I didn't have to actively be paying for. It was on a loan, so I had to pay for it later down the road. Um, I had great friends that helped me out. I had a uh, People that believed in me, uh, who told me, you know what, Zach, we like your podcast. This will work. It's interesting. Or don't stop. Or keep going. Uh, I had a good friend of mine. She's not in my life anymore, but she really helped me through college. Um, and uh, it's you know, she celebrated with me when I got to 100,000 subscribers. And she's no longer in my life, but I really still owe uh, a lot of a uh, lot, lot to her. She really helped me. A lot of people like that though. That I, I just I was I had good people around me, uh, people encouraging me, telling me it was okay to chase my dreams, and then. Uh, The death of my brother has always been the catalyst that really drove me and pushed me and said, um, you know, life is very short. Do what you like. Do the job you actually want to do. Don't be stuck behind a desk. Um, And uh, I don't know. I've always been a dreamer. I, you know, once upon a time, I actually, I was getting an environmental science major. That was my that's my career path at first. And I realized as a freshman in college at 18 years old, very you know it was very disheartening when I realized the only way to make an impact um, environmentally was really to have, to be a politician. Like you, you can have a a great social media feed or you can have great ideas or you can do all this stuff. But if you're not a politician, there's actually very little you can do to change the way that uh, the environment is treated. And that's sad, but it's honest. And I, I gave up on all that, but I, sports are a way to, I feel like I can make somewhat of a difference and um, entertain some people and talk about what I love and share my passion and, I uh, just winter thanks for the question i don't know if i answered that in the way you wanted to hear it but i i shared my heart and that's what i try to do and um my brother's death is really the catalyst for strong opinion sports chris writes in uh this is a fun one uh one that i i've never really answered because uh, it, it does involve another sportscaster uh so two questions left chris writes in he says hey zach love the content I hope you're taking care of yourself. I'm doing the best I can. I'm very sick as a dog, actually. The drugs are wearing off. Uh, The medication is. I got to get through the show and finish soon. Chris says, hey, Zach, love the content. Hope you're taking care of yourself. My question uh, wonders where your channel's name came from. While you do stand behind your takes no matter how strong, you are always more reasonable and more well-spoken than the typical strong opinion shows out there. Take care. So, Chris – no shame. When I was a kid, my favorite sports ca- sportscaster growing up, and I, I've tried very hard to differentiate myself. I don't listen to him anymore. I don't even I don't even worry about what he has to say. I think there. I try to take what I learned from him as a kid by listening, and I, I'm a fan of sports radio. I Always was as a kid. And I took what I learned from this broadcaster as a kid and put my own spin on it. And I tried to uh, refine his formula and do it in a better way, in my opinion. Um, but Colin Cowherd always said that young broadcasters needed to have strong opinions. And I, I really loved that. And I said, how do I take that idea that I I had beat into my head from like nine years old, listening to Colin Cowherd? Like he always said, strong opinions are the key. And I said, well, let's make strong opinion sports. And here we are. And I think now a more fitting name for the show now might be Called you know my attempt at reasonable opinion sports because I really strong opinion I think is um, I I don't I'm not I'm not Stephen A Smith I'm not just yelling stuff I'm not just trying to get attention I I I really genuinely try to be reasonable uh, but I will say that the name Strong Opinion Sports it does nicely set the tone where people have expectations and probably the right expectation coming in where I come and saying like, I think blank and I'm not afraid, although I'm reasonable and I try to be fair and I try to be honest. Um, I, I do have strong opinions and I don't want people to, I want people to know what they're getting into a little bit. So, um, that's the whole reason behind the show is when I was a kid, I heard, you know, that guy say strong opinions are what young broadcasters have to have. And I said, let's make fun of that. Let's make my show strong opinion sports. And so here we are. And, uh, Things are good. I I really uh, I love what I'm doing, and I think I, I've taken a formula of a, a show that happens, you know, three hours a day, five days a week, and said that's bloated and stupid and probably the wrong approach. Let's refine that and make it a little bit better. And here we are. Uh, man, I got this thing. My eyes acting up, and it's my right eye has been blurry this whole show. I can't see anything very well. It's hard. It's like focusing in. And do you ever seen a camera like? do the focus? I don't know. It's like my eyes are having trouble focusing um, Chris writes in Another Chris, different Chris No Oh my gosh, this is John No Where am I finding this? <sighs> Did I take it out? No Oh, I can't find it I gotta go find this question Hold on It's a really long one, but I think it's worth reading Um So I don't know, well, let's just answer it anyway because there's this is a question I just cannot find for the life of me, and it's really sad because it's really really a good question. I must have deleted it somehow. I'm so heartbroken about this. so since I can't find it, we're just gonna answer the question anyway. Somebody wrote in with a really, really, really long question about the Vikings, basically saying, How do we fix the Vikings and i I think the only way you can fix the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, I think Chris wrote it in. Chris, you get credit. Uh, is that you got to hire an offensive minded head coach, Eric Bienemy or maybe pay like the, the Raiders gave John Gruden a $100 million 10 year contract. Maybe you give because the only way you're going to get Lincoln Riley out of Oklahoma is an absurd, gigantic money contract. You give Lincoln Riley $100 million guaranteed over 10 years or shorter than that, maybe, um, to try to fix the Vikings offense. Here's my point. The Vikings are stuck with Kirk Cousins, and Mike Zimmer does not appear to be the answer in Minnesota. And so, you, because you have a gigantic contract and guaranteed money you owe Kirk Cousins, you got to find a way to make it work with Kirk. And so, you need to get him a coach who can help him. I think Lincoln Riley or Eric Bieniemy, the coach, the offensive coordinator of the Kansas City Chiefs, that's how you fix the Minnesota Vikings. Is you get an offensive-minded head coach who can help fix Kirk Cousins. Okay, Patrick writes in. Patrick says, Hi, Zach and your eyeballs. Hope you and your loved ones are doing well and staying safe. First, I just wanted to say a big thank you to you. Your podcast has kept me company on my long journeys to university at 5 a.m. And being able to start my day with it has kept my spirits up even when I wasn't having the best of days. That's awesome. Patrick, you're awesome. Hope you're doing well. So I'm going to be a bit cheeky here and try to sneak in two questions. The first one is, and let me tell you, Patrick, I, I actually cut out your second question. I, I did put it on the back burner. I have a whole, like, long document of questions for a later day. Yours was about a documentary or something really interesting. So I think it was about uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. And I actually decided to put it in a other folder. And in the offseason, when football's over, I'll watch the documentary series and share my thoughts and react. So I'll, I'll get to your question someday, not anytime soon. So Patrick says, do you feel like whatever team wins the Super Bowl this year— Here's hoping football will continue. We'll have an asterisk next to the number of players opting out uh, next to it because of the number of players opting out. This changes to the schedule. So, Patrick, you have to realize if you win a Super Bowl this year in 2020, it's the hardest year ever to win a Super Bowl. You look at players opting out and people not being involved and practice being canceled, and you go, "Whoa, is that a – You're winning because of that. No, 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 no. Whatever team can get to the Super Bowl and win, if they deserve an asterisk, it's because it's to say this team had a feat and an accomplishment greater than anybody else ever before them. Because to win the Super Bowl this year, you have to get through so much adversity. Schedule changes. uh, No practice often. Players are coming in and out of the lineup because they're either quarantined or they violate protocol or they got to be, you know, they're stuck quarantined for a game or two. You miss a player randomly that you are counting on with your game plan. Um, There's so much adversity you have to go through. So any team that wins the Super Bowl this year in 2020 won a Super Bowl during the hardest year ever to do so. If there is an asterisk, it's only to tell you how good a team was. Now, the final question of the day is from John. It's really what we're going to do. We're going to read John's question. It's a very short answer, but I think it's still fun for the sake of things to read it. So John writes in, says, Hey Zach, love the show. I apologize in advance for this long comment. No problem, John. You're awesome. But I think you'll find this story interesting. If nothing else, big 12 football is back and it's already had a bunch of upsets. Even my beloved Sooners. I was watching West Virginia university play Baylor. And I saw they had a quarterback named Jared, Dehi, pronounced Dehi, no Dehi, and he seemed. as a question mark? Yeah, it's, it's Jared Dehi or Dohi or day I, I'm gonna say Dehi. That's how I said that name when I was a kid. I knew a guy with that same last name, and he seemed pretty decent, but nothing crazy. Early, it wasn't the guy I expected to be behind center, though. An old quarterback transferred from Oklahoma to West Virginia was Austin Kendall two years ago. I didn't think Austin Kendall was amazing. But he was unfortunate to get stuck behind consecutive Heisman winners, so I don't blame him for transferring. He started last year and looked decent, but he wasn't starting this game and was not on any injury list I could find. As I watched the game against Baylor, I saw he throw bad pick after bad pick, but yet we still didn't see Kendall come into the game. I looked up he and saw he was a transfer from Bowling Green, which is D1 and no slouch, but definitely not the quality of Oklahoma U. How did a guy like Jared Day from Bowling Green come into West Virginia and take a starting job from a guy like Austin Kendall, who transferred from Oklahoma? Your staple question is, what does the film say? I hope your eyeballs enjoyed the question. John, uh, well thought out. Very interesting. Oh, my gosh. A question I would love to answer. Here's the problem. I don't have practice film. I don't know what happened. Uh, at, at West Virginia. I know Austin Kendall's very fine. He he uh, has a low ceiling as a quarterback. Um, I don't know why they would choose Jared Daigie over Austin Kendall, uh, and I probably never will because we don't see what happened in practice. Uh, my assumption is Jared Dahey came in and was phenomenal in practice and stole the starting job, uh, but we don't know because we don't have practice. And I film, and as much as I would love to tell you and say, here's the film breakdown of how jared day he beat out austin kendall in fall training camp 2020 i don't have that film nobody does uh unless you're a player uh at uh oklahoma at west virginia so um yeah i'll never know and it's interesting but i uh i i, I really appreciate your question it was really well thought out long interesting uh my guess is jared day he just beat out austin kendall flat out and um that's what i see. So. Guys, that's all I have for today. Thank you so very much for tuning in. I love you. I appreciate you. Long episode. I apologize for the time. I was scrambling trying to find the Vikings question. Hope you don't hate me for it. uh, I'm going to rest my throat. I love you. I got a lot to edit. Hope you have a great day. Bam, we are done.